Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 21 of Season 5 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee ki our way through the 1990 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard 2, Die Harder, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Jeanette Ward of the adventures of a... <laughs> fangirl, fangirl, right? Did I get that That's right? That's right. The, the mundane adventures. The mundane of adventures of a fangirl. Okay, because I was close. They're not Sorry. They're mundane. My adventures are very low key. Right. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, all week I won't forget it. That's I. I was oh, close. No. I, I just forgot uh, to write I, it down before. Um, there's enough words in that title where we could mix them up and do it differently each day. If you want, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you. I don't know if that's going to be good for for you getting you know people to go to your site. If Which if I keep saying too. different <laughs> things, you know, people are going to be doing searches for fangirl adventures, a, a mundane of. Hmm. Yes. Uh, I I can't find anything. Google, it's not listed on Google. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I I think you you probably we should stick with the uh, with with the original. We'll we'll, we'll do that. Absolutely. The the mundane adventures of a fangirl. Here I am and I'm happy to be here. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for I, I know you took off last season because, uh, you know, rom-coms are not your thing, but I'm glad to have you back. Uh, you be carrying our way through uh, through another Die Hard movie. Absolutely. So um, I appreciate you coming back. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. So episode 21 begins with Lorenzo continuing his dry, diatribe and ends with uh, Carmine trying to explain uh, how busy he is. <laughs> so yesterday, on Friday, we ended things uh, with basically, you know, John comes to, to Captain uh, Carmine Lorenzo's uh, office and is trying to explain to him why they need to do things here. And uh, Carmine doesn't really want to, doesn't care. You know, he yeah. doesn't want anything to do with it. As far as he's concerned... You know, I guess they they need to put a a cop into the mix like they did in the first movie that you know doesn't like the character of McLean. I mean, they do that in the next one also. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, but uh, I don't know. I I do like Dennis Franz more than than I enjoyed Paul Gleason. Paul Gleason, yeah. I mean, I I, I think Paul Gleason was a great actor. There's no question about that. But his character, you're not supposed to like. And I don't think, and Paul Gleason rarely plays a character that you're going to like. Yes. That's but a good here, yes. you know, Dennis Franz is a guy that 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 I've seen in numerous movies and I, I've loved him in it. I mean, did, did yeah. you ever see the movie The Package with Gene Hackman? Um, yes. Okay. But it's so, been years. Okay. So that you should rewatch it. And anyone listening should also rewatch it. It's a great movie. It's with uh, Gene Hackman, Tommy Lee Jones, and Dennis Franz. And it's all about it. It's like a conspiracy movie about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this this group of people that are trying to assassinate someone. I won't say who the president. <laughs> and basically, you know, Dennis Franz plays a, a cop who used to be best friends with uh, with Gene Hackman's character when they were mm-hmm. they, they were in Vietnam together. You know, and they're like mm-hmm. best friends and he goes to him for help. And Dennis Franz is just great in that movie. I know I saw the package before I saw this movie because I saw the package in the theater in 89 mm-hmm. when it came out. I mean, it's only a year before this one came out. But I probably didn't make the connection between Dennis Franz of the package and Dennis Franz of Die Hard probably till after he started, you know, showing his butt on NYPD. 
NYPD Blue. <laughs> that's probably like the point where where everyone started saying, "Oh, well, we actually know like, who yeah, Dennis Franz is." Right. And do you you have offhand? Because I didn't look this up, and I should have. When NYPD Blue, like, when was the height of Dennis Franz NYPD Blue bare bottomed success? Was that right around this time, or was it slightly? No, after? it wasn't. No, it was after. Yeah. As from what I remember, NYPD Blue only debuted in '94. Okay, so it was so we're still four years away. What's interesting is I no, sorry, '93. There you go. It came out. It came out in '93. So we're still we're still right. talking three years from now. When you told me you were doing Die Hard 2, I requested these minutes. These are my favorite minutes in the movie, which is crazy because, admittedly, they're exposition, but they're exposition hidden in an argument between yes. Dennis Franz and Bruce Willis, and the two of them play this perfectly. And I love scenes that take exposition and shove it into something else, so you almost don't realize you're getting a huge exposition dump in the middle of a sequence. Dennis Franz, between him and Dennis Farina, the two most Chicago copyist, Chicagoiest cops guys on the planet, and no matter what you put them in, they still feel like a Chicago cop. Right. I I feel like he's supposed to be the head of security at this airport, which I believe is Washington D.C. Yes, but Dulles. Dulles still, the, the most Chicago a guy can be, why he's not wearing like a bear's hat, is beyond me. Well, because but, he's in Washington, I mean, you know. <laughs> and he's on the job. Right. I just, I love the sequence. I love all the dialogue. I love everything they say to one another. I love Dennis Franz's performance. And I love the way Bruce Willis is irritated by the entire sequence. It's yeah. fantastic. Well, they're, they're both irritated by, by each other. That That's the great part about it. Yes. So, I mean, that, that works too. I mean, he yeah. he he has 57 credits in, in IMDb. And the, the the latest credit that he has which is really shocking to me is NYPD Blue. Basically, he hasn't he hasn't uh, acted since 2005, and that's after 261 episodes of NYPD Blue. He's the only character. You don't need to. That's right. He's the only character who was on every single episode of of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, you have even even Gordon Clapp was was on. He was on five episodes less. And then if you jump down the next uh, the next actor or character who has the most uh, appearances in MIP Blue is James McDaniel with 167. So we're talking 100 episodes difference that Dennis Franz and Gordon Clapp were in that nobody else was. So that, that well, just, and talking about the timeline, yeah. knowing that NYPD Blue debuted so much after this movie came out, it's so interesting because I I don't believe I saw Die Hard two in the theater. Um, I just it, probably one of those where you rent it over and over again and watch it a bunch of times and perhaps not as good as the first Die Hard, but it is very, very good and certainly entertaining and very fun to watch. Um, same formula, but just enough different that it keeps you on the edge of the seat. The action's fantastic. But the having not seen it in the theater and being aware of NYPD Blue, probably by the time I saw this, or certainly by the time I rewatched this at the level I did in college, I, my roommate, Allison, shout out to Alice, she's listening. Um, Make sure she does listen. listen. Make sure she listens. More, there you go. more Send than her. anyone I have met was the biggest Bruce Willis fan. And so at least two to three times a week, we were watching Bruce Willis movies. And this one is one that we watch over and over again. And so oh, wow. by that time, because that would have been, oh boy, 95, 96, 
Sipowitz was already a thing. So it was very yeah. much that McLean was having an argument with Sipowitz. It right. wasn't. I don't. I, it took me a second to even remember that his name was Carmine Lorenzo in this movie because it was just John McLean yelling at Sipowitz. <laughs> That's actually very funny. Well, you know, if, if Allison, are you still in touch with Allison? Okay, so you should tell her to be listening to I will tell her. my I will season tell her. of regular yeah, Die Hard, and now this season, you know, <laughs> and and tell her that if she wants, you know, if if she's that much of a fan like you are, I'm I'm willing to have her on as a guest in the future. Oh, I'll let her know. Yeah, that might be kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be do it with you too if you want. You know, well, nice. That's up to you guys. You know, but uh, yeah. yeah. So basically, you know, he he starts his his whole diatribe Friday. And he mm-hmm. continues with today by saying, running around my airport with a gun, shooting at people. What do you call that shit? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's funny. That he, first of all, I like the fact that he says my airport. You know, mm-hmm. he he yep. is the cop. He, he's the chief yep. of police of the airport, but it's his airport. Yes. You know, yes. it's not the airport of anyone in the tower. It's not the airport of of, of anyone else who's who's who does who has some sort of job in the airport. The this is his police precinct, so therefore it's it's his airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love how he says shooting at people. I mean, I don't know if John, I don't know if you you could say what John was doing in the last two weeks is really shooting at people. You know, that would no. make it sound like he's just standing there, like picking people off. You know, it's like yeah, just in the center of the busy part of the airport, firing the gun in the air. Or, and not know, even into... no, right? Which he didn't do. He was he was in a secluded luggage area Chasing doing that. You know, yes. Chasing, you know, punks that that are trying to steal luggage. You know, so it makes sense. <laughs> and I also love this this office. At, yes, being lectured about shooting, the, and I call it self defense. Fantastic. <laughs> and I love the, and that fancy LA badge isn't going to get you a free lunch here. Okay, but while he's saying this outside the window, the snow, but the so clearly a set snow. Yes. Okay, so it, I don't know if like you've listened. Is. I don't know if you've listened to the to the commentary of this by Rennie Harlan or not, but he specifically points out the fact that you know they wanted to make it seem as if it, they said it's completely on a set, you know, but they wanted to make it seem as if it really is snow. So they said they 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 made sure that the entire time there's fake snow behind him, and they they made it look like uh, you know we're dealing with with a a blizzard outside type of thing. So it's great yeah, because the snow is halfway up the window. It looks like it's the quality of like a public museum a diorama yes. <laughs> of like an Arctic scene where it's it looks maybe like it's two feet deep and it's, you know, plant, tree, bush covered in fake snow. Yeah, and it works. Why not? <laughs> I'm sure the set designer had a lot of fun with that one. Absolutely. And and that's how <laughs> what I need to remember. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so he continues and says, what, you think that L.A. badge is going to get you a free lunch or something around here? And so John responds, maybe a little professional courtesy, huh, in an airport on Christmas week. So, you know, I love the fact that he, that he goes, you've got to be kidding. And I mean, that is not the type of response you would normally expect to get from somebody who's supposedly who's supposed to be service oriented. You know, mm-hmm. for him to say, well, and you actually expect me to give you courtesy. Higher? That's right. <laughs> you expect me to give you yeah. courtesy during the week of Christmas? Come on. You got to be kidding. But that's, that's what I love. It's that the And again, let's throw all the exposition in it. Just in case you weren't sure where or what time of year it was. 
He's very clear about you're in an airport in Christmas week. It's very busy. Well, that's that I, hard. Come I appreciate on. it. <laughs> Make it very clear. So in case I had forgotten, I, I love it. That's right. And then and then he then John, I love John's response. He goes, Okay, f- courtesy. How about being professional? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean I have a sign in my office that, that says it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. More important to be nice. There you go. <laughs> and um, Car- Carmine does not have that sign in his office. No, he does not. He has he has a propeller. <laughs> he has the tiny plane and a yes. Mm-hmm. The the type of thing that people have like if they have a deer on their wall or they have like a shark, uh, you know, you, you it looks like you'd have like yes. a shark jumping out of the the wall at that point, you know, with the just like a propeller. I, I was actually wondering if this propeller is maybe a clock. Uh, which would be really cool if it was, but I don't think it is. It's just no, it's situated. It's, it's situated like it could be a clock, you know, that type of thing. And it's another one of those things where the set designer was like, we got to make it look like he's the head of security in an airport. I'm like, put right. a propeller on the wall. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of like model airplanes in the room also. Yes. You know, on his desk and stuff like that. Yeah. So wait, wait a second. Where, where are we? Where are we? Where, we're in where? an airport on Christmas week. Oh, we're in an airport on Christmas week. That's right. And then. And then John continues, goes, your boys just walked away from a crime scene. You can't wrap this up in 10 minutes. You got to seal the area off. Dust for prints. Now, I love the fact that he's saying this to Sipowitz. You can't wrap this up in 10 minutes because, you know, of course you can't do it in 10 minutes. It takes 42 minutes. You know, that's a TV show. At least 42 minutes. (laughs) No, yeah, most, at most, unless it's a, unless it's an episode that, uh, unless it's like a string of episodes together. But, that or unless you you got the B roll the B storyline for that episode, correct. and your your storyline will take ten minutes. That's right. That's true. But but it's just funny that he says it in this way, and us knowing the future, you know, we we know the fact that that uh, this is important. So I just thought it was really funny. He goes in ten minutes, and he goes, "You got to steal the area off. That's for Prince." And he jump. He shouts back and goes, "Hey, don't lecture me, hot shot. I know what I'm doing." We're going to dust it down. We'll take all the pictures. We'll sweep for fibers. When are you going to do this? After 400 people go through? You'd be lucky to get a print from one of your own people. <laughs> shut down the area. Oh, shut down the area. It's that simple, huh? Just shut the area down. Yeah, I got everybody from the Shriners Convention to the goddamn Boy Scouts in here. I got lost kids, lost dogs. And typical movie trope, someone always walks in when someone's giving a list like this, and he screams, not now, later. <laughs> that is fantastic. As he is running down this list, everyone from the Shriners to the Boy Scouts, which, again, great Lost way kids, to, lost dogs. <laughs> and and I got international diplomats. In. Yep, exposition that he's throwing into this uh, tirade, and then sure. the not and then, now later. And that's right. And so you think there's the, no it, punctuation in that. In the, there's no commas. There's no pauses. There's no not now later. Period. Correct. I love it. That's right. <laughs> Do you think the international diplomats he's talking about uh, Esperanza? I I think it's a hint to those of us who don't know that's coming to pay attention that that might be a thing that's coming. Yeah, but uh, you'd think that he would have, as you mentioned earlier, he would have more security knowing <laughs> that we're dealing right now with. I would think that <laughs> yes, but you know, it's an airport on Christmas week. That's right. <laughs> They're very busy. That's right. And they then, don't have time for all of it. That's right. And then he continues and goes, I got a f- reindeer. And then he gets cut off at this minute. Yes. So 
So I, I actually wanted to go back and talk about some of the things that he says here. You know, so first of all, the, the idea of self-defense. Okay, when John responds to him, you know, what do you call that? What, what do you call that? And he goes, self-defense. Okay, so I mean, my first thought was, okay, I would look up what does it mean, you know, to learn self-defense stuff like that. But then I realized that we're talking about the legal concept of self-defense. Mm-hmm. You know that, that, and do you know that there are other names to the legal theory or concept of self-defense? Oh. It can be called the alter ego defense. Interesting. The defense of others or the defense of a third person. Okay. It's the right for people to use reasonable or defensible force for the purpose of defending one's own life mm-hmm. or the lives of others, including in certain circumstances, the use of deadly force. So, hey, I think according to that, John is okay here. Yeah. <laughs> He, he is correct. You know, as, as we'll learn later in the week, he kept a low life. Yeah, you know? that's right. He kept a low life. That's right. So, And then it continues by explaining that if a defendant uses defensive force because of threat of deadly or grievous harm to, to the other person or a reasonable perception of such harm, the defendant is said to have a perfect self-defense just, justification. If, def, if the defendant uses defensive force because of such a perception and the perception is not reasonable, the defendant may have an imperfect self-defense as an excuse. So, yeah, I mean, I, I have like pages and pages of this, but I'm not a lawyer and I don't really care about this stuff. So I'm not going to go go into the whole idea of, of what, uh, you know, where that actually comes from. But suffice uh, it to say that you know, I, is correct in stating that that is what he was doing. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that is. But Carmine doesn't see it that way, mm. which is very strange. You think that they have a dead body here in, in the in the luggage area. Yes. yes. Check the fact that th- this guy is probably not a a punk a teen punk you know you can you know carmen didn't even leave his office to go see what's going on here Mm -hmm. yeah that that amazes me the most you know here he is the chief of police and or the chief of the of of the airport police right yes and there's a murder and he doesn't go to see what's going on you know it's 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 not like he has to drive across town (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a question of okay why don't i go check out what's happening two floors below me or whatever. I'm pretty soon we'll later this week, we'll talk about the fact that the, the, his office is probably not very far right. from where this happened. Well, and you know, I think we will, we'll, probably, we'll, we'll have to wait there. We'll talk that. about this later too, but um, the, the fact that he's so irate so quickly about this situation means that he obviously knows McLean is right. He obviously knows, but he's not, he also cannot admit that. Correct. That's true. Okay, so the next thing I wanted to discuss was uh, the the phrase "free lunch." Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know the, Do you know the history of what that means? And now again, free lunch it could be a real thing, the, and it can also metaphor. be just a figure of speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The we I will never forget learning Tinstaffel, uh, and I think I learned it in one of my high school economics classes. Tinstaffel, there's no such thing as a free lunch. I don't know what Tinstaffel is. What's Tinstaffel? Tinstaffel, literally, it's an acronym. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Tinstaffel. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, nothing always ever comes for free. It always has strings or consequences or tie-ins or... Uh, yes. So uh, that phrase always triggers that in my brain. Like, Tinstaffel! <laughs> like, it just, it's stuck there and I never forget it. So when he says, yeah. Isn't That's really cool. I never, I never even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, so I assumed it's meaning the metaphor, not the literal, like, go out to the cart out there, use your L.A. badge to get yourself a free sandwich. <laughs> right. 
Right. So, I mean, basically, I looked up what a free lunch is. So, a free lunch is providing a meal at no cost, usually as a sales enticement to attract customers and increase revenues from other businesses. It was once a common tradition in saloons and taverns in many places in the U.S., hmm. with the phrase appearing in U.S. literature from 1870 all the way up to the 1920s. These establishments included a free lunch, which varied from rudimentary to quite elaborate, with the, with the purchase of at least one drink. These free lunches were typically worth far more than the price of a single drink. The saloon keeper relied on the expectation that most customers would buy more than one drink and that the practice would build patronage for other times of the, of day. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes sense. And that would be where the Tinstaffel thing comes from as well. Like, yeah, there's no such right. thing as a free lunch. Like, you, yeah, it's, the lunch is free, but you're paying for the drink. And the point is to get you in so that you keep spending. And yes. So there you go. Right. And and basically those those ideas pretty much stopped uh, during the depression because it wasn't economically viable for people to do it anymore, mm-hmm. and it never really came back. Okay. You know, sometimes you know you'll you'll go to like casinos or that's, or, that's what I was gonna say. Casinos um, do a lot of that type of thing. Lounges, taverns, yeah. happy hour, you know those type of things free that they'll give you free appetizers. Of, it's a marketing that's tool. Right. Yes, it is. Uh, that it is. And then you have a, a free lunch fiend. Okay which is uh it's it's a type of person in the 1870s they they refer to this these were people they were loafers or free lunchmen who toil not neither do they spin yet they get along they visit saloons trying to bum drinks from strangers should they inexplicably uh, lunch should this inexplicable lunch fiend not happen to be called to drink he devours whatever he can and while the bartender is occupied tries to escape unnoticed <laughs> <laughs> okay that's something I didn't know about. Right. So, there you go. <laughs> so, right. So that's the literal term of free lunch. The idea also, as you mentioned, it, uh, you know, uh, a free lunch is basically where you get something for for basically doing very little. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. You know, and that and that's what, what Carmen is referring to here. Okay. Then as he's going through all the different things, he mentions the Shriners. Do you know who, what the Shriners are? Vaguely, yes. The uh, right now they're kind of a charity organization, but I don't know where they started. Okay, they uh, they are and were a uh, Masonic society mm-hmm. established in 1870, and they were they were originally known as the Ancient Arabic Order of the Nobles of the Mystic Shrine, which is A A O N M S, and they were headquartered in Tampa, Florida. Because of course they were. Uh, oh, sorry. It is. It is. It, it's still. Uh, it's still headquartered there, right? And they they open up a whole bunch of uh, you know there there are a whole bunch of there are two hundred different places around North America, South America, Europe, and Southeast Asia, and they also have hospitals for children that are all over the the world. Also, it was actually created in 1870 by Freemasons in Manhattan who basically wanted to have a place to go for for fun and fellowship, right? So there are th- these two guys named uh, Walter Fleming and William Florence established it. Uh, uh, together back then. Hmm. 1875, there were 43 members. And then by 1888, there were 7,200 members. Wow. And in 1900, there were 55,000 members. Hmm. And then it jumps in, in 1938, there were 340,000 members. Jeez. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I couldn't see the number that there is today. Let's put it this way. If it was, it was 350,000 in 1938, <laughs> they, they, they have a lot. Yes. <laughs> There's there's no question about that. And they have uh, hospitals in Boston, Chicago, Dayton, Erie, 
Pennsylvania, Galveston, Greenville, South Carolina, Honolulu, Houston, Lexington, Mexico City, Minneapolis, Montreal, Pasadena, Philadelphia, Portland, Sacramento, Salt Lake City, Shreveport, Louisiana, Spokane, Springfield, Massachusetts, and St. Louis. Wow. That, that's pretty amazing also. And they, they have college football all-star game, which is known as the East-West Shrine game. Huh. They have golf tournaments. Sure. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> and that's right. And uh, who, who, is, who, who is the highlight of most of their, their golf tournaments? Justin Timberlake. Really? Yes. And the the name of the the of of the golf tournament is the Justin Timberlake Shriners Hospital for Children's Open. I, I had no idea. Played in in uh, in Las Vegas, but that was only up until 2012. Hmm. Because then they found out that Timberlake only wanted to be there when they had cameras around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. So I guess they they right then they 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 change the name yeah i mean he can't bring sexy back if no one's looking correct <laughs> the second to last thing i want to mention about this is the mention of the boy scouts so in the great escape we discussed a little bit about the boy scouts mm-hmm. but we didn't really get into much of it back then do you know when the boy scouts were founded oh boy 19 20 something 1910 okay see and there are over 110 million americans who've participated in boy scouts of america programs hmm. Oh, in the 100 and 113 years since then. You know, that, that's just crazy. That's a crazy number. And then they, they created the in, the international, or the world organization of the scouts in 1922. Huh. So, yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting. They have seven different ranks in the scouts. And that's scout, tenderfoot, second class, first class, star scout, life scout, and eagle scout. Wow. And they get, you get member badges and in order to, to move up from rank to rank and stuff like that. You have to do all these different. So you have to show that you are proficient in all these different activities mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, I was a Girl Scout for many years in similar layout. Okay. How many uh, badges did you get? Wow. You know, I still have them. Um, dozens. We we were very uh, bad focused. We got quite a few. Um, we For Girl Scouts, you would get your badges and attach them to your sash. But my mom was our troop leader, and a lot of us were like, we don't really want to wear a sash. And she was like, all right, let's do this. And she got us all these, like, gray work shirts. And so we would put the badges on there instead of on a sash. And then we could put all the, like, the troop name badge and all the other badges and all the other things. Because the Girl Scouts at the time had very specific rules about where your badges were supposed to go on your uniform and everything. And so when we had these shirts, we could put everything on the one shirt. It was very cool. And we went camping every year. We oh, did wow. the badge activities. We did some service projects. Um, yeah, almost all the way through high school. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Very cool. And the, the last thing I wanted to discuss is the, he mentions about the reindeers. Oh, yes. So, do you know another name of a reindeer? Uh, caribou. That is correct. Mm-hmm. And it is native to the Arctic, subarctic, tundra, boreal, and mountainous regions of Northern Europe, Siberia, and North America. And I, I didn't know this, that there are three different uh, types of reindeer that they're not considered endangered, but they're considered vulnerable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, a lot of people are killing them for their, uh, for their hides and for food and for things like that. Oh. So, yeah. Now, I, I only knew about Santa and the reindeer. You know, <laughs> never, never thought about anything else because that's pretty much where you only see them, and which is why this is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And there you go. Of course. <laughs> Throw in, <laughs> and let, let's throw in their Christmas reasons that this is a Christmas movie. Right, of course. 
<laughs> so my question then is, after he's listing all these different things that he's doing, what is actually the job of the airport police? <laughs> well, I, my assumption is <laughs> because they don't investigate murders. Okay, they're <laughs> and they're they're too busy dealing with lost dogs, lost kids, Boy Scouts, Shriners, international diplomats, and reindeers. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm trying to figure out what it is that they actually do. I'm not belittling them. I'm trying to understand. Please, any 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 uh, airport cops who are listening, you know, I I, I do respect you. Well, you know, because I'm assuming you do your job much better than Carmine. This this uh, <laughs> this movie taking place prior to the role of an airport cop is probably much different now than it was at that point. <laughs> so that would also be interesting. That's probably true, also. <laughs> but is a TSA member uh, considered part of an being an airport cop? I don't know. And is airport cop different than I mean? regular cop or same level training different training tsa i these he's clearly not tsa but is tsa somehow new is the t anyway i i i think the tsa only happened after 9-11 uh, mm -hmm. i don't think there was a tsa before See? isn't that interesting yeah that's what i would think so do you have anything else about this minute before we get into the script just that uh yeah the window <laughs> outside the window looks like a museum uh, diorama um yeah, there's just that it's exposition frame and I love it. And the not now cool. later, which is my favorite yelling yes. uh, of all this. <laughs> it reminds me, I think I think it was in Star Trek four that the same thing happened also. You know, when Scotty is showing the guy how to make you know, showing him how to make the, oh, the yes, plexiglass. Yes. And they go, not now. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Transparent that aluminum. That. That's right, that's right. Okay, so the script has has a few few changes here. Actually, oh. I'll just read through what it says here. It it basically skips part of the beginning of it. I mean, we talked about that a little bit on Friday. That that their conversation at the beginning is very very short, and then Lorenzo says, "Yeah, I know. You think that LA badge is going to get you a free lunch or something down here? No, just a little professional courtesy. In an airport Christmas week, you got to be kidding. Okay, forget the courtesy." How about just a professional? Your boys just walked away from a crime scene. You need to seal it off, get a forensics team in, dust it, shoot it. And what do we do with all the luggage from all the airplanes while we play Charlie Chan? Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you know who Charlie Chan is? Yes, Was? that's interesting. Charlie Chan is a fictional Honolulu police detective that was created by the author Earl Dare Biggers for a whole bunch of mystery novels. And, uh, you know, his, his main villain was, do you know who his main villain was? No. Fu Manchu. Oh, of course. <laughs> and uh, then they they had a whole bunch of uh, movies and TV shows and uh, I think comic strips and a whole bunch of different things about uh, Charlie Chan. And and then uh, Carmen continues with his diatribe and says, and, and McLean answers him and says, "You store them somewhere." Oh, and meanwhile, every hour, a few more thousand people come. And they want to put their luggage on airplanes, so we store them and their luggage in some other somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I I don't I so, I don't mind that that I, was I like the way they it changed didn't it. add anything. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, don't, I don't think so. You know, they truncated. I I like the the back and forth in the movie itself. I think it works better. Nice. So I'm I'm glad that that they made this change. Yeah, me too. Um, right. And that's the only differences with the script. So every Monday we have a segment called McLean Monday, 
where my guests will give their top five uh, Bruce Willis uh, films. Yes. So why don't you start with your number five and work your way up? Start with my number five. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that my five and my six were kind of even. Um, I had Blind Date and Hudson Hawk. I, I enjoy Hudson Hawk. It's admittedly a terrible movie. But uh, it's one of those where anytime I happen to catch it on so TV. So it's Blind Date. <laughs> exactly, yes. I feel like Blind Date might be technically uh, better crafted than Hudson Hawk. But either of them, if I happen to catch either of them on TV, I will sit and watch the whole thing. I find them. Okay, well, pick one. I'm going to say Hudson Hawk then. Okay. <laughs> Hudson Hawk, I just love the fact that they, you know, they sing throughout the whole thing. They sing it too. <laughs> yes. The the measuring a specific amount of time by singing a song is great. Danny Aiello yes. is great in that. Uh, a very young, um, <laughs> what's his name? Horatio Kane from CSI Miami. Um, yeah, it's. Yes. It's an David, David Caruso. That's him. David Caruso, connection to Sipowitz and Michael Blue. That's there right. There you go. See, and this movie, together. Don Harvey, and Don Harvey is in this in in Die Hard too. Also, he plays Garber. See? You know, he plays the uh, uh, what's going on? Stewart's right hand man. He's also there. It's so yeah, it's it's a real dumb and real connection fun. connection to the Great Escape. And we have James Coburn there, which mm-hmm. which makes sense also. So yeah, we we get connections all over the place. Yeah. So okay, Hudson Hawk is, is your number five. five. All Number right. four, Death Becomes Her with Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. I, uh... Now, I, I enjoyed that when I saw it in the theater, but on subsequent watches, I didn't like it as much. Mm, okay. I, I, mean, I love the way that Zemeckis creates the, the special effects there. I mean, the special effects were just um, phenomenal. Phenomenal, yep. But but I, you don't like any of the character, characters. Exactly. There's you know, no that, one to that's root part for... of the problem. Yeah, there's no one to root that's for. Right. Everyone's terrible. Yeah. Except for death. You're right. <laughs> Uh, number three, uh, Armageddon. I I love some high quality Bayhem, and that movie is high quality Bayhem at the very very best. Um, the idea that a meteor is coming to destroy Earth, and the only way to save us is to hire a roughneck oil driller and his crew, train them to be astronauts, put them in a couple of shuttles, send them up to the astronaut uh, to the meteor, have them drill through it, place a bomb inside of it in order to save us all. It is yeah. absolute insanity, but my goodness, does it look fantastic. And Bruce Willis at the center of it, plays it grounded and he's the straight man where everybody else around him gets to go really, really big with their characters. So yes, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's actually also the first time that Bruce Willis, his character dies in a movie. Yeah. Well, dies by sacrificing himself to save not only the crew, his dog, son-in-law but the entire planet come on yes okay that's true <laughs> and then number two uh the fifth element love that movie absolutely big bombastic luke Besson, super sci-fi uh mila jovovich playing the fifth element which <laughs> Try not to get hung up on the age difference between her and Bruce Willis throughout the course of the movie. Gary Oldman or and... the age difference between her and Luke Besson, but that's a separate issue. It's a separate issue. <laughs> um, but the the mustache twirlingness bad guy vibes of Gary costumes by Jean Paul Gaultier. Chris Tucker stealing every scene he's in. That movie's great. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Tiny Lister being the president of Earth. It's wonderful. That's right. 
Uh, and then number one, I have Die Hard because it is the perfect action movie and near flawless. And there you go. All right. Great. Thank you very much for that. So, Jeanette, you want to tell people where, where they can find you, you now that we've established me. where you're from? Where I'm from. You can, you can find me on all the socials. You can find me. Um, I, I tend to be mostly on Instagram nowadays, but you can also find me on Twitter. Um, oh boy, I'm at JY Ward on Instagram, and I think I'm Jeanette underscore Y underscore Ward on the Twitters and the Facebooks. And you can find my movie reviews on my blog at the Mundane Adventures of a Fangirl, which is jwardadventures.blogspot.com. There you go. All right. Excellent. Great. Thank you very much for that. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Mover a Minute. You can find me on Facebook, find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, moveraminute.com. So until tomorrow, yippee If you're fond of sand dunes and salty air, quaint little village.